the optimal life. Nick, welcome. So how, how did the event go last week? The I know you had two events. One of them was more intimate, and then you also had the Lewis Howes event. Yeah, it was amazing. I had a really fun experience. So to give everybody in your audience some context, it was my first time hosting an event. I had about 50 of my author clients there, as well as some podcast partners and people on my team. And hosting an event is hard work, man. I don't know if you've ever hosted one, but geez, a lot can go wrong. And some did, but overall, very positive experience. What was your the intimate, the one that you hosted yourself? What was it focused on? Sure. It was focused on book marketing. So my business, Book Thinkers, helps authors promote and market their books. So what I did was I featured a bunch of my clients. They gave 15-minute solo presentations to the audience, and then they would do a 15-minute Q&A. And I'm talking some really cool names. The drummer from Maroon 5, somebody with 50 million followers, Vanessa Van Edwards, she's a best-selling author. So some really cool people. And how do you get those people? How do you get these high profile people to join you for your first ever, for your, you know, this is the initiation event. How do you get these people to come join? You know what? The Book Thinkers community is a pretty tight knit group group of authors and entrepreneurs. And so I've developed a, a great connection with a lot of these people. And I think the buy-in just came from my vulnerability and transparency. I said to these people, I'd love to host a big event one day like Lewis House. Thousands of people in the audience, A-list production. But how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So this is that first bite. And if you're interested in joining me, it's going to be super cool, super intimate, high quality people. Nobody bugging you, asking you for selfies and stuff. And so the turnout was great. Biggest takeaway from planning the event. What was a lesson learned that you'll take with you for the next one? Outsource the AV and audio to somebody else. I think that was the biggest thing, man. Listen, we showed up. Oh, man, this is crazy. We've been planning this for a couple of months. We show up the day before our event to get out, you know, put the final touches on everything. And the guy who owns the event venue says, hey, the woman that you organized all this with, I let her go last week. We're starting from scratch. I'm like, you know, roll the sleeves up. Okay, like, let's do everything from the setup to the AV to finding lights to like, nothing was prepared. Mm. So outsource the AV, but also make sure that the event organizer doesn't get let go the week before. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. It's almost like have a backup plan for maybe some of those things that can be outsourced at least. Um, True. Yeah. Cause you never point. know. Cause you never know what you're going to be dealing with. What was something that surprised you? I mean, event planning is a completely different beast, but it is all part of your networking and your, making contacts and connections. Was there something from the event that, that surprised you that you weren't expecting? Because I moderated most of the event and most of the Q&As, I had the opportunity to be up on stage in front of an audience of more than 50 people for like eight hours. And so I went into it having some social anxiety, a little bit of fear of communication. It's a big room for me. When I was really young, I couldn't even, you know, speak in front of the class or read a paragraph or anything, right? So by the end of the day, I was cool, calm, collected. And I found that I found, I really found that I found fulfillment in it. You know, it was really fun to be up on stage and to interview these people. And I found that I really enjoy public speaking. I've only given a few speeches in my life. So that was a lot of fun. Do you feel that as you're up on stage, those butterflies turn into more 
they they subside and they maybe even disappear as the days going on is the beginning phase the hardest and then once you're a few hours into it it's like oh this is this is nothing yes absolutely i've heard it said that anxiety and excitement are the same feeling Mm. it's just you're attaching a little bit of a different potential outcome right if it's anxiety you're attaching fear as the potential outcome if it's excitement you're attaching some type of fulfillment as the outcome so it's the same feeling it's just a different outcome that you're thinking about in your mind so towards the end of the day the butterflies went away because i realized oh this feedback's been amazing so far and mm. this feeling of being on stage it's not anxiety anymore it's it's excitement and so that was super cool that's very interesting. See, most people don't get the opportunity to get to that excitement phase because they go up and they give their 10 or 15 minute presentation and then they're done and they run off stage and that's the end of it until next year. Yes. So they don't get they don't get to that experience where they get to go into a flow, an hour, two hours, three hours, Q&A, bringing people up, stopping, starting, those kind of things where they can finally actually take command of a stage. It's almost like, it's transactional where your experience was something different. It seems like. Yeah. A little bit more relationship based and it, and it grew over the course of a day. So for anybody in your audience, that's ever interested in furthering their, their business networking or their account management, their customer relationships. I think an event is a great thing to do. It's a little expensive. I spent some money, but I think it's going to be worth it. You know, as time goes on. No doubt. And then real quick, uh, the Lewis House event, was it the thousands of people? What is it, like a Tony Robbins type structure? It's uh, yeah, it's 2,000 people in the Ohio Theater. That was his last year hosting it in Ohio, but uh, a little bit closer to a Tony Robbins event, right? Less intimate, a little bit more rah-rah, but still educational, a lot of notes, uh, a lot of networking with people in the hallways and things like that, a lot of entrepreneurs in the audience. So that was a really good experience as well. How did you connect with Lewis? Lewis followed me on Instagram years ago. And because I have a podcast where I interview authors, I noticed the big name, right? The big new follower. And so I reached out to him a few times, said, Hey, Lewis, I'd love to have you on the show to promote a book. He's like, well, I'm not really in the middle of book promotion, but the next time I release one, yeah, let's do a podcast. So I got wind of the fact that he was releasing a book last year. Uh, around the time that he was hosting an event. So I said, well, let's go to his event. I've already got a guy on my team that lives in Columbus, somebody down in Lexington that could drive up. So I flew out with some people and we went to his event and I was able to catch him at the event. And he's like, oh, Nick from Book Thinkers, like what's going on, man? And he's been following and viewing stories and commenting on stuff for years. And I said, hey, congratulations on the new book. It was coming out in March of this year. I said, I'd love to fly out and record a podcast with you. And he said, sure, let's do it. So I followed up and he welcomed us for half a day and we got to hang out with him. He helped me break down the book thinkers business, make some recommendations, do a little podcast audit. And we've developed a little bit more of a a relationship since then. I can lean on him for things, ask questions. And so when I said, let me host my first event, instead of having it be a total standalone, I said, Hey, Lewis, can I host this on the front side of your event and include a ticket to your event in my ticket price? And he's like, let's do it, man. So, you know, he got a little benefit out of it. I brought over 50 people to his event, but uh, yeah, that relationship's been great. And he's exactly who you'd want him to be off stage and off the mic behind closed doors. He's just a good dude that wants the best for people. 
when you see a guy like that who's been able to grow such an audience, you have appreciation for it because you're in this space. You know how hard it is to grow any kind of audience, podcast, marketing, books, social media. You see a guy that's done all of that. Uh, what do you think it is? You spent time with him. What is, what is it about him that makes him more of an outlier amongst most of the others? One of the speakers at the event, Vanessa Van Edwards, uh, she was at our event. She was at Lewis's. She defines charisma as a balance between competence and warmth. And so I think Lewis has charisma. I think he's magnetic and he attracts people from both sides of that spectrum. If you're too competent and not warm enough, you come off as cold, sometimes arrogant, aggressive. Mm -hmm. And if you're too warm and not competent enough, you come off as kind of like, you know, for Lewis sometimes like the big, dumb, the big, dumb jock asking dumb questions on podcasts. But if you can balance both of them, you can be magnetic. And I think that's what Lewis has. I, you know, he asks these really goofy, dumb questions sometimes, but then he'll respond and share something that's extremely competent. And he, he plays in both worlds really well. And I, you know, he's, he talks a lot about mental health. That's something that men don't typically talk about. He's a successful entrepreneur. So the the uptight business guys pay attention and uh, yeah, it gets attention. It really does. Yeah. I mean, to see what he's done with his podcast alone is pretty fascinating being in this space. I've been doing this for six years and I've talked to a plethora of people in this space. And while everyone has various levels of success doing it, including yourself to do what he's done, I don't know what their download numbers are, but you know how hard it is to get people to listen. Hundreds of millions a year is what hundreds of millions of downloads a year, like 750 million or something. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, that's absolutely what was What was something that you took away from your interview with him? You guys did. You mentioned the podcast. You guys did an episode. What's something that stood out? That your purpose comes from your pain. Lewis had these big dreams of playing in the NFL and he got injured and ended up on his sister's couch. And he stayed there for a year wallowing in his own sadness and, and broken dreams. And he had a lot of mental health issues as a result of that broken dream. And now he's out there serving people, trying to help them go through the same thing, essentially. And I think that's really cool. I think that when somebody like Lewis talks about his worst times, he takes the superhero cape off for a minute and he opens up and he's genuine and authentic and vulnerable and not perfect that makes him more relatable to the average Joe. And I think that's what's really cool about him is that he's super broken in a lot of areas of his life. And he's like going through that journey of fixing it, but publicly. And mm. uh, that's why people root for him because he's he's not pretending to be perfect. And when you talk about uh, the that he's broken and he's using the fuel, he's using his pain as fuel essentially. That's yeah. kind of the space that you have really found yourself focusing in on personal development, self-help, self-improvement. What was it that caused you, uh, Nick, to even want to get into this space at the outset? When I was in my late teens, early 20s, I was more of the athlete stereotype, a little bit less of the academic that maybe people would look at me like now. <laughs> I didn't read books growing up. And as a result of that, in my late teens, early 20s, I was operating from a very com 
confusing place. Like I was young, motivated, hungry, but super insecure and full of ego. So that ego would represent itself at the expense of the people I was around. I wasn't a lot of fun to be around. I made everything a competition and, you know, I'd make fun of other people, things like that. Um, it all came from insecurity, man. Like I had all of this public speaking anxiety. I was very insecure about my voice. I was a business school student at the time who didn't know anything about money. So I'd get embarrassed in conversations about investing or financial literacy. So I turned to books. I was introduced to the world of personal development podcasting. And then I found books as a result of that. And I was able to remove a ton of insecurity and a ton of ego in a very short period of time and educate myself about the world of personal finance and investing. So I became focused on impact. I became very confident in myself. My communication skills improved and I started to lead conversations about money all within like a six month period. And what did it cost? A few hundred bucks, a few hours of my time. And so I became very passionate about this world of personal development books because all that anxiety and the fear and everything, it went away and it was replaced with something even better, which is this, this idea of making a positive impact and being of service to other people. So I went from like feeling really bad to feeling really good. And I know that these books can do that same thing for everybody else. There's a book to solve every single problem that we're dealing with. And I just want to make that message known, like there's power in personal development. Mm. A couple of things there. One, it's not easy when you're a late teen, early 20s to be able to recognize, first of all, all of these things that are causing me angst and then actually put that into action and try to better yourself. It sounds like almost on your own. Did anyone help you? Did you have a mentor? Did you have a, a family member? I took an internship going into my senior year of college at a local software company. It was a sales internship. And my my boss at the time, he introduced me to the world of podcasting. So podcasting for me came before books. I had about an hour commute to and from this internship that summer. And I remember... He said something along the lines of, hey, listen, Nick, listening to your one of your favorite songs for the 1000th time isn't going to get you closer to where you want to be in life. Mm. But listening to a good podcast might. And it's that might. It's the potential that it, that it could change you in a positive way that really interested me at the time. And so well, I didn't think it was cool to listen to business podcasts, but I really got into them. And then so many of these people being interviewed on the shows I was listening to, they would give at least some credit for their success to the books that they were reading. And so it was another one of those moments. Like, I think when I articulated in hindsight like this, oh, I got slapped in the face and realized that if I'm choosing not to read these books, I'm choosing to live under my potential. Like, it probably didn't happen in a moment like that. I probably couldn't have articulated it like that. But I did realize that the people I wanted to be like, they were reading these books. Mm. And so- Kyle was the name of my sales director at the time. Kyle was sort of the, in, the inspiration for podcasting. And then the podcasting, those were the inspiration for the books. Interesting. And uh, I'll throw one other thing out there, which I've only come to realize recently. I was sitting at a bar with Kyle. After graduation, I went full-time in that company. We're in Chicago, I remember. And I was telling him about my process. I said, Kyle, I'm reading these books that solve my pain. And I'm spending a few weeks to a few months implementing them, testing out everything that I'm reading. And he was like, dude, that's kind of abnormal. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, 
most people don't read books after school and those that do don't take notes and those that take notes, they have a hard time implementing things. And so when I think about that software that I was selling back then, I was selling an implementation package with it. I would sell this software package and the companies that would buy it, they'd have to go through a process of implementation that would take weeks or months with a trainer, homework, practice, reflection, questions, and then they could go live with it. And so I think I was kind of like modeling these books off of that same behavior, that same process. And obviously, you know, for me, at least it's worked out so far. Yeah. Interesting. So, well, you know, bars are where that's where all the magic happens. What were you drinking? What are you doing? Whiskey, vodka? What's your choice? Drink of choice. Oh, that's evolved over time too. So when I was in college, I drank a lot of vodka. Post-college, I moved into rum. So I really liked like a good spiced rum. Now I'm a tequila guy and I've had my beer phases too. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm drinking now. But yeah, you're right. I think you got you got to check out my my buddy. He's got some kind of ownership in this tequila. I don't know if they sell it where you're at. It's called Suavecito. But if you could find it, it, if you could find it, I promise you, you'll like it. S-U-A-V-E-C-I-T-O. I'm pretty sure that's how it's spelled. They've got. They've got all the different kinds, Blanco, Agave, uh, um, whatever the others are. Okay, cool. I'll check it out. Yeah, Suavecito uh, Tequila. That's a free shout out to to those guys. Um, One other thing that you mentioned before, too, though, you said you were insecure about your voice. Elaborate on that. When I was younger, when I was younger, my language was not very polished. I had a lot of verbal pauses, you know, um, uh, so, but I didn't speak with a lot of confidence. There was a lot of fear. And so if you, if you remember in grade school, when the room would line up in a circle and you'd, you'd read in a circle, right? One paragraph at a time. I was the kind of kid that would count ahead eight paragraphs and practice mine four or five times. And it was always terrible when the teacher would have somebody else read a few extra or something. And, and I was off my groove. I have memories of, of forgetting, basically blanking out, leaving the room during Spanish presentations or history presentations. Mm-hmm. We had to memorize that Shakespeare what is that thing? But yeah, you know, and I memorized it back, front, forward, left, up, down, and then I'd forget it in front of the class. And so I just had all these terrible public speaking moments throughout grade school, high school. And as a result, I developed a lot of insecurity around my voice. And so it took a lot of work to get to the point where I am now, where I'm confident to be interviewed on a podcast or to interview people on my podcast to speak on a stage like we started to talk about. And what did that look like for me? I ran my own house painting business for two summers during school. So I went door to door and I sold those jobs, embracing discomfort and that gut feeling every single step of the way. And then I was in that sales internship, which that, eventually- First off, let me into- just interrupt you real quick, Nick. That's the toughest form of sales there is. Oh, yeah. The knocking on the door, the the cold knocking. It's not even cold calling. You're actually there to see somebody. And there you are. And they're like, what are you doing here? Yeah, the first time I ever knocked on a door, I had sort of my my sales trainer coach behind me. And we had this whole script that we built out. Hey, my name's Nick. I'm a local college student painting houses to help pay for college. And I noticed that you need some work done. Can I come back on the weekend and, and walk you through a free estimate? Blah, blah, blah. This whole thing. And the first house I knocked on, I said, hi, would you like an estimate? 
and I forgot everything else. And they were like, <laughs> who she was like, who are you in an estimate for what? And I just turned around and looked at my sales coach, like, help me. I, I forgot everything. You know, I was so awkward back then. Um, but to kind of wrap that up, I mean, I took this sales job and then I started flying around and making sales presentations. I went to Toastmasters. I took a public speaking class at my college and I started creating content for social media, which was very intimidating at first, but you can't get to video 1000, which we're at without the first 999 and you get better every single time. Absolutely. The evolution of, of just us as humans, um, it's highlighted very well right there. I'm sure when you look at those videos now, when you look back at the early day videos, you, you almost want to delete them, but you have to keep them up there to remind yourself where you once were and where you are now. Um, yeah, I, I, I would have deleted them if Evan Carmichael, he's a YouTuber, podcaster, author. If he didn't tell me to keep them up, then I probably would have deleted them. But yeah, you're right. Now, when I look back and I compare myself to what those used to look like, I'm I'm proud and present, you know, in this moment. Absolutely. Again, you mentioned how you had these anxieties and fears of speaking and you black out during these presentations back in school. Again, it goes back to the, the stage thing again that we keep talking about. But I think it's important to highlight that. I really believe that our kids in schools these days probably should have an entire day where you're the teacher, you're the host, you're whatever you want to call it. You're the MC for the day. It is your turn to speak. You're going to lead the conversation. You're going to call people to do things. You're going to run the show because those things never happen. You get your five minutes of, of Spanish presentation. You don't remember what happened. And then you carry that anxiety with you into all these other things into your adult life, which 99% of us do. I do believe that there's something to it where we need to give our kids more of that. We're always talking chemistry and history and things that are okay, but it's not going to do anything for you in your adult life. I agree 1000%, 1010%. And the other issue that I have with the public education system is that you're taught in school that failure is a bad thing. And then as you go out into life and start your own business or podcast or whatever, you realize that failure is the best teacher. So we're taught in school to fear failure, but in the real world, failure is the best opportunity for growth. And so it's so backwards. You know, we're also not taught about personal finance or money. It's just right. Yeah. Let's let's the things that really everything. matter. My daughter was sitting, my daughter's about to turn 13 in a couple of weeks. And we're sitting on the couch the other night. She says the word like 10 times in 25 words, probably. I don't know. It was almost every other word. And I said, whoa, 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 slow down. You just said the word like 10 times in the last 10 seconds. And she's look now, of course, she's frustrated with me and now she doesn't know what to say. And and I said, I'm only doing this for your benefit because they're not teaching you this type of stuff in school. If you go for a job interview at 18, 20, 25 years old and you say the word like every other word, you're probably not going to get the job. I actually said to her, I said, you would be a great candidate for the Bachelor and Bachelorette TV show. <laughs> I agree 1000 percent. Maybe you could try this with her. When I was a recent college graduate, I had just finished my public speaking class. What they did was they would film a three-minute presentation and the teacher would tally the number of likes or other verbal pauses, um, uh, so, but, that you would use. And then she would have you guess, how many times do you think you just said like in the last 30 minutes? And you'd say, oh, 
I don't remember saying it at all, maybe two or three times. And then the result, when you would watch back your presentation would be 20, 30, 40, 50 times. It was very embarrassing. And so what my buddies would do is I told them, hey, while we're at the bar, while we're at the gym, wherever we are, if you hear me use the word like or another verbal pause, make me aware of it. And then I have to drop down and do 20 push-ups. And so I'd be at the bar. My friend would catch me saying the word like. I dropped down in an embarrassing situation in the middle of talking to a girl or something. And I'd have to do these push-ups and I'd be red is all, you know, my face is totally red. I'm embarrassed. But then I would explain that and it would just be a cool conversation starter. Hey, I'm, I'm looking to work on myself here. And eventually I stopped using those words. I st- it's been a while, so I probably use some today, but I stopped using those words because of a fear of having to drop down and do push-ups. Oh, listen, there's something to it. <laughs> that's that's a good tactic or, or or mental trick to try to get you to stop to break the habit. It, well, listen, we all do it. I mean, we all use the word as I'm I'm busy berating her about it, and then I'm saying the word like in between. But it's just something to be mindful of. We're not mindful of our words, and words are so powerful. That's where you guys obviously a lot of your mission comes in into that world of communications. Um, speaking of communications, I also wanted to talk briefly about a couple other high-profile guys that you've had on that are very well at communicating, uh, Alex Ramosi and Grant Cardone. So how did you connect with those guys, and what do you see? What have you learned from them? Two very impressive people. Grant Cardone was episode number nine, interview number nine on my podcast. And... The story about how I got Grant on the podcast is pretty funny. For those of you that want to get impressive people on your shows, I would recommend a book called The Third Door. I won't go into the whole metaphor, but it's a very good book at accessing people in creative ways. So how I originally connected with Grant, I went on his website or one of his websites, and I found a place where you could submit to get a quote to have Grant speak at your event. And I think I checked the box that said that I'd be willing to spend 25,000 minimum or something like that. And I had no money, but that got the conversation started with somebody on his team. And then I was able to, to just try to provide value. I said, Hey, I have this audience of nonfiction readers. We can highlight one of Grant's books. I just want to provide value. He can sell anything he wants on my podcast. I just want the chance to share his message with my audience because it's had such a positive impact on me and they probably don't know about him. And they said no 10 or 15 times, but eventually I found somebody that said yes. So here I am, episode number nine, Grant's on the mic, virtual podcast. It went very well. I was nervous, but it went very well. And at the end, I'm still recording. And I said, let me shoot my shot. I said, hey, Grant, I'll be down in Miami in the next couple of months. Let's do another episode. You have great rapport, man. And he says, sure, anytime. And I sent that little recording of him saying yes to his team. Now, I had no plans to be down in Miami, but I sent it to his team and I said, pick a date in October or November that works for him and I'll be there. And they picked a time and I went. And then I did a second interview in person with Grant in his office using his media team. I did another one with Elena, his wife, and I spent some time with them and it was great. And so that picture of me and Grant that I've posted a few times, it's opened so many doors because trust is transitive. If you trust Grant and Grant trusts me, you're more likely to trust me as well. Mm. And so borrowing the credibility of your, your favorite people, the biggest names of your space, it's a great sales technique. But I will also say that what I learned from Grant, when you're in person with him, makes you feel like a million bucks. All eyes, 
on me. And a couple of times his team said, hey, hurry up. We're over our time. You've got another meeting. And he said, who pays the bills around here? I'm having a great conversation. Leave me alone. I'm done when I'm done. And then he spent a bunch of extra time with me. So he's a really cool dude. And the other thing that I realized about Grant is that he doesn't manage any of his own social media. The Grant Cardone with the jets and the G-wagons, you know, aggressive speaking, that's to sell courses and books. But his true customer is an accredited investor willing to spend 250000 up on some type of syndication deal. And those people are legit. They wouldn't be investing if there was a better opportunity. But Grant manages billions of dollars of other people's money now because he provides legitimate results. It so used to be, it used between... to be, it used to be, I'm sorry, Nick, it used to be who you know. And now it really has become who knows you in, in many respects. Yes. True. And so he invests a lot of time and money into social media. Grant's a great guy. Um, I'll be more brief with Hormozy. I got a text one day from somebody at a conference and there Alex was speaking up on stage and it was a picture of Alex's slides behind him. And my face was up on the screen and Alex used one of my book reviews and my testimonials from that caption in his presentation to show what could happen if you read $100 million offers and applied it to your business, which I did, generated a ton of additional revenue as a result of his frameworks, posted about it on IG, and then without my permission, but I'm super happy that he did it, used my face in a presentation. So once I knew that he was using me, I felt like, okay, I have, a, I have an ability to go ask for something in return. So I asked for him to come on the podcast to help promote his new book, $100 Million Leads, that book got pushed back many, many, many times. So when he came on our podcast, we focused on $100 million offers, but it was a really cool opportunity just to thank him. And I think that um, you know I provided value first. I shared it with my audience 10 or 15 times before I went for that ask. And Alex is a great guy. What have I learned from him? If you can simplify your message and teach at a third to fifth grade reading level, more people will buy your stuff. More people will pay attention. I think sometimes there's this idea that we need to be the smartest person in the room. Alex has never tried to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, he asks some of the dumbest questions, some of the most basic information possible, but he distills things and reworks it in a way that everybody else can digest it. And that's why I think he does so well. Hmm. Fascinating stuff. Oh, guys, everyone that's listening, the big takeaway for me, at least on that, what you said there, Nick, was the Grant Cardone was not necessarily the interview itself, not necessarily the cold emails where you were somehow able to convince somebody to get the interview, but it was the, hey, I'm going to be in Miami in the next couple months. That was a phenomenal tactic. You had no plans on being there, but how do you keep the relationship growing? You use that tactic and it worked to perfection. So that, that's the big takeaway for me there. Let's talk about, you've mentioned it several times. Let's let's get into your company before we finish it up. Uh, book thinkers, book marketing. Talk to us about what you guys do. Sure. So I have a team of 10 people that supports a couple hundred authors a year. We help them promote and market their books through short form video content creation, where we actually fly out with the cameras and the scripts, and we help them create video content for socials that sell books as well as their complementary products and services. We do podcast booking, where we'll place an author on up to 100 podcasts to talk about their books in anticipation or post-launch. And then we have a community on Instagram of about 150,000 readers. And 
those readers are always looking for new book recommendations. And so we get paid to promote and review books. I'll throw one other thing out there too, which is my very first book, Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn is launching on November 1st. And so I decided to write this book because over the years of building my audience, so many people kept coming to me and they'd say, hey, Nick, I appreciate the book recommendations, but how the heck do we take better action? Because it's not the information that changes your life, right? You can have access to the gym, but if you don't use the equipment, nothing happens with your body. Same thing with these books. You can buy all the books you want, but until you implement them, nothing's going to change in your life. So that's why I decided to write the book, teach people how to take better action. And people that want to work with you, is there a process for everybody? And and if, if so, how do they go about that? Yeah, I would say DM BookThinkers on Instagram or check out our website, bookthinkers.com. You can either set up a call with me directly so that I can learn more about their book and their business, see if it's going to be a good fit for us, see if we're going to be a good fit for them. Or like I said, DM us on Instagram, tell us a little bit about your book. We'll check out your socials. We'll do a little audit and then we'll jump on a call and and see if, if we're a good fit for each other. Hmm. Shifting gears, was a tough week one for you in the NFL watching the Patriots lose? Well, I didn't have great expectations uh, for the Patriots this year. So seeing them be within a score of the Eagles defending Super Bowl, you know, I think um, I was pretty impressed with the Patriots. Now we have Miami this weekend in New England. I'm going to that game. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) You guys need Devin McCourty back on the field. Yeah, I know. I know. That's the mutual connection. <laughs> the McCordians are all over look, TV, though. So he's I looking love great. It. He's looking great in the studio. I'm, I'm very, very impressed with him. Yes. Yeah. He's doing I'm well. a huge football fan, though. So crossing my fingers and my toes. But listen, if the Patriots only lose to Philadelphia by one score, like to me, that was a victory. Absolutely. Uh, book thinkers. We've linked that up in the show notes, guys. If you want to learn more about Nick and his company, you can go there, bookthinkers.com. You also mentioned Instagram. Is that, has that been the number one social media platform for you? It is. I think it's a mature enough platform, depending on how you build your audience that you could do a lot of business right from Instagram. So we do anywhere between 500,000 to a million impressions a month on our Instagram channel. And that's where a lot of people find us. Yeah, authors that we work with and and people like that. And final question for you. Give us three titles, three books that are maybe relatively new that come to mind that uh, stand out in that self-help space. $100 million offers and $100 million leads by Alex Hormozzi. Two incredible business books that I recommend to literally everybody. Um, I mentioned her a little bit earlier, but Cues by Vanessa Van Edwards teaches you the art of charisma, how to be more charismatic, how to increase competence, increase warmth, and then use that skill set to do business and to work with people. So that's another book that that I'll mention. And let's see, there's a third book. It just came out, From Grassroots to Greatness by Lloyd Lobo. And this book is about how to build community online. So it's one thing to have a follower count, right? It's a different thing to have a community, people that feel like they're part of, you know, following Nate or following Nick. That's a completely different thing. So if you want to build a community, I recommend this book. Awesome stuff, man. Hey, great connecting with you. Bookthinkers.com. Continued success. Uh, Really appreciate your time. 
Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thank you.